So welcome to this third and final episode of our Livewise series on Epic. In this episode, we're going to look at two of the remaining values of a postmodern world. So let's start with the first one. The first one is imaginal or image driven. In the modern world, images were used to present answers. In this emerging world, images are required to provoke questions. So as I was growing up and as I started to go to church, most of the time I saw images, they were telling me what to think. Um, they were giving answers. They were presenting even images to explain things. But in this emerging world, because we're looking to get people to experience and to participate, we want images that pose questions. I'll give you examples of that a little bit later on. Aristotle said that the mind does not think without a question. So a question is a thing that gets the mind thinking and, and images are incredibly powerful for doing that. In fact, images have a lot of value in themselves. It's reported that a CEO uh, of Coca-Cola once said that if Coca-Cola lost everything, every factory, uh, everything they owned, every asset, but they kept hold of the copyright of Coca-Cola, the actual logo, they still own the logo, they could walk into any bank anywhere in the world and borrow as much money they needed to re-establish their entire infrastructure. That one image alone was so incredibly valuable. And we see this in the Bible. We see Jesus understanding the power of an image, particularly to provoke questions. Let's take a look at that. In Matthew 6, verse 25, we read as Jesus explains and uses this principle to speak to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the question, are you not much more valuable than they? Can one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus takes them on an experience and through questions, encourages them to participate in the answer. He asks four different questions in that passage as he points things out that they can see with their own eyes. In fact, as we read the scripture, what we notice is how often Jesus uses metaphors, how often he uses visual pictures to ask a question. It's a really high percentage, or at least it seems so. I wonder if there's, there's another reason for that. Let me just read something to you. John 21 verse 25 says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. So when we read the, the New Testament, we read all these images and metaphors and pictures and word pictures that Jesus uses. Like I say, it's a very high percentage 
of what he says? Or is it? Maybe really what's happening here is that Jesus said so many different things that the things were remembered were the word pictures. Maybe he didn't use an extremely high percentage. Maybe it's just they're the ones that the disciples remembered when they wrote them down. That's how powerful images are, particularly images that are used to pose a question. So let's look at some principles, how you can, how you can use pictures to provoke questions in a postmodern world. Number one, create images to make your ideas stick, not just to get attention. So when I, I plan some kind of presentation, whether it's to recruit people or raise finances or, or I don't know, share my vision, I'm not creating images to get people interested. Um, I think that would be very weak. My content alone hopefully will keep people listening. I use images to make things stick. The other thing I don't use images for is to be lazy. I don't just give people an image and say, hey, what do you think? I've already prepared the teaching I'm gonna bring. So this is not an excuse just to be lazy or to do little preparation, just throw a picture and say, hey, what do we think about this? It's using pictures to make what you're gonna present stick by asking a question. Secondly, create images that provide space for people's insights. So many years ago, we used to use a personality test on page called True Colors, and there were four colors, gold and green, and I think yellow was one, I, I can't remember. Um, but then we switched to Life Shapes because we found that with Life Shapes, which is a personality test that I created, um, the shapes actually allow more space for people to think through what those, what those shapes actually mean and how they fit together. I'm using images and I'm creating as much space for people to read into stuff themselves and, and be part of the answer. Create, participate, if you like, in what those images actually mean when they apply to our lives. Thirdly, create invitational images that invite people to discover where they are. So I wrote this book, it's called The Kingdom Patterns. Uh, this book is about helping people uh, understand the journey that they are on uh, that God has put them on. So um, the journey God uses to increase our faith, the journey God uses to help us fulfill our calling to be more holistic, uh, the journey uh, God uses to equip us and shape our vision. But I've used diagrams and during the book, I get people to figure out where they are on that diagram. So I'm inviting people again to participate using questions, using visual images, rather than saying, if this is happening, this is where you are. I'm giving principles and then giving them a the diagram and asking them to think through, where are you on this journey of faith? Where are you on this journey of calling? Where are you on this journey of how you fit into the body of Christ? Those kind of images, I think are really powerful. Create visual metaphors that invite people to participate in your vision. So in another one of those books, uh, this one, The Kingdom Principles, whenever I teach that, at the end of the course, we have what we call a knighting, a knighting ceremony, or I think the ceremony is called the Oath Ceremony. And people participate in a multi-century um, commitment to those kingdom principles. There's video, 
uh, things are given to people, there are things that people wear. It becomes this holistic, defining moment, a choice that people make to participate and to commit to those kingdom principles. It's an invitation and we use images to get people thinking about their own life and the commitment they want to make. So another principle might be create a multi-sensory mosaic of audio visuals. How can the environment encapsulate your message? How can your message fit into what people are seeing all around them? Jesus does this very well on a number of occasions, uh, particularly at certain festivals. Um, so let me read this one uh, to you for an example. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have eternal life. Now, as you look at those words, bear this in mind. This claim, like the claim to give living water, also corresponds to the events at the feast. So while Jesus is speaking, there's a feast where a light lighting ceremony took place in the temple every evening of the feast, during which large lamps were set up. The lamps lit, it was said, filled every courtyard in the city. So during a festival where there is light everywhere, Jesus then talks about being the light of the world. He uses this visual image to invite people and ask the question, is that how you see me? Do you understand? Am I the light of your life? Uh, we use this uh, in many different occasions. I remember many years ago doing a lesson on uh, forgiveness. And so we wanted the young people to think about bitterness and holding on to grudges. So as they came in, um, the, the song by Oasis, uh, Don't Look Back in Anger, was, was playing as they walked into the classroom. And one of the, the fun games that we did at the beginning was getting young people to bite into a really sour lemon uh, or lime, I think it was, and just see how long they could last before they, they spat it out again. And we had images about bitterness and anger all over the walls and forgiveness. We, it was a mosaic environment. And then our message, I think, would have, would have been more powerful because we used those images to ask questions. So at the end of the game, we'd ask, ask them, is there any bitterness you want to spit out? How does bitterness make you feel? Um, that kind of thing is very simple to do if you just spend a little bit of extra time and thought thinking about it. So let's look at our first uh, workshop. Can you think of the last message you spoke on? Maybe it was a sermon, maybe it was an invitation for people to give or to be recruited or join in with something. Now try drawing its message with a simple diagram with as few words as possible using the following simple questions. Does it provide a place for people to read their own thoughts into it? Does it invite people to find where they are in the diagram, does it ask questions? So think through the last uh, thing you presented and um, create a diagram using those questions. Is there space for people to be part of the answer? Is, is there a diagram where they could work out where they are in the message, if that makes sense? Does it ask questions? Okay, please spend some time doing that, maybe five, 10 minutes, and then for another five minutes, share that with anybody else in the group. Show them your diagram, see if they can figure out what the message is without you having to tell them. Uh, the more words you, uh, the less words you can use on your diagram, the better. So if you can show them a diagram 
and they can figure out your message just from the diagram, that would be kind of cool, but you're probably gonna need a few words on the diagram. Okay, spend some time doing that, and I'll speak to you about the last value of postmodernity in a few moments. So just as an example of the kind of um, uh, pictures I use, let me show you uh, this picture. It's a picture I use very often. It's a picture of um, a skyscraper, and someone once gave this to people on um, Pays and said, the leaders of people on page reminded them of the people in this picture because they were living at a high level of faith but doing something very natural to them. If you look at this picture, you've got people living at a high level, literally, uh, but they're just sitting down having their sandwiches and packed lunches. They're doing something very natural, but at such a height that it inspires others. So I show people that picture, I tell them what it means, if you like, or I, I explain that, but I use it to pose the question. And my question usually is something like this. What can you do at such a high level of faith that would inspire others, but is natural to you? So what could you do that's natural to you? Maybe it's a gift or a talent you have, but you do it to such a level of faith that it inspires others. Can I get people asking that question? They can see themselves in the picture, uh, you could even say which of these characters most represents you if you're living by faith. Uh, there's all sorts of different things you can do, but using pictures help. Okay, let's move on to the fourth level, which is connected. In the modern world, consumption drove individualism. In this emerging world, connectivity has recreated consumerism. So I don't mean by that that we need to create consumerism. I mean by that we need to help people get connected. The more connected they feel with others, the more they're likely to buy into the message. So if they feel connected with others in your message, they're more likely to buy into it. Let me show you another picture. Now, this is a picture I often use to explain this principle. In this picture, you have a group of students at a deaf university complaining or protesting against the new principle of that university. So it's a university for the deaf, and they are protesting the principle. I wonder if you can guess why. When I ask that question, most people will say, or oh, maybe uh, the principal wasn't deaf, or maybe uh, the principal um, was trying to, um, I don't know, kind of remove benefits for deaf people. But the reality was they were protesting the principle because the principle was in favor of technology that helped children born deaf to be able to hear. I'll just say that one more time because it may sound confusing. The principle was in favor of technology that could help children born deaf hear. So you ask the question, why on earth would these guys be protesting that if they're deaf themselves? And the answer is really simple. They believe, just these particular protesters, they believe that the connectivity, the community that binds deaf people together was so valuable, they wanted that for their children more than they wanted their children to be able to hear. It's an incredible thought. And I'm not saying that all deaf people think this, it was probably quite a minority, but so much, look at the age of the people in this picture. They're, they're young people born in a, a more postmodern age, and to them, Connectivity is so incredibly important. So let me give you an example from this, from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. 
Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. What I notice about this tied into what Jesus did is that word testimony is not really an individual thing, but as a group of people, their testimony combined. So community is really, really huge. It's why in churches, some people will say amen, or some people will say I agree, or some people will clap or, or make some response to what the preacher is saying. Because when you're in the congregation and you realize it's not just the preacher's thoughts, but everybody is agreeing with this, there's a sense of community and connectivity that emphasizes the message. It brings value, it brings weight, it brings kudos, it brings um, just a more layered message. It's not just one person saying it, it's everybody believes this. Jesus doesn't send out the disciples in ones, he sends them out in twos and as a group. Why does he do that? Because if I, if I meet an individual who has lots of the fruit of the spirit in their lives, evident in their lives, and that person's called Jack, I think, wow, Jack's a great person. If it's just Jack and his wife, I think, oh, they're a great couple. But if Jack, his wife, and a dozen other people have the same characteristics, I think there's something going on here. There's something that unites these people or someone who unites these people. So the more connected people can be, there's this positive peer pressure. People want to connect. They want to explore the message that you're sharing with other people. They want to interact. And if those other people can be connected in a way that leads them towards this message, again, you're going to make what you're sharing, what you're teaching, what you're trying to recruit people to much more powerful. So let me give you some principles for that. Encourage connectivity around an objective. Many years ago, I started to work for a church in the United States that had a great vision. The vision was about community. They've kind of really, uh, more than ever, any other church I've ever been part of at least, really understood um, the great commandment to love your neighbour. They were kind of working and brought me in to help with the great commission, but the great commandment they just had nailed. Um, but there was one area of weakness, and it was why I was brought in many, many years ago, was that they had great communities, but the young people were kind of separated. And what they were trying to do was bring young people into a community group, like a home group, and get them to fellowship with the adults. But in reality, what would happen is this. The young people would come in, they'd be in the same house, but they'd sit in a different room or be in a different part of, their, of the home group with their own peers. And so even though they were physically in the same room, they weren't really fellowshipping. They still had their own little group. And that's natural. But when they went on mission together, or when they did something together, the adults and the young people mixed much, much more. I remember that seeing that in my own two sons. When they would go on mission, they got to know the adults really, really well. So fellowship in itself doesn't work. In fact, the irony of fellowship is fellowship is best when fellowship is not the end result or the end objective. You put people in a room and give them a bigger vision than themselves and they will actually unite no matter what their background, age or gender is. So you want to, to create connectivity around an objective. 
Secondly, encourage connectivity around research. What does that mean to encourage connectivity around research? Well, let me um, explain that, if you don't mind, by reading from a, a book I wrote uh, called Havarim, because I think it explains it um, pretty concisely. Information, learning, and understanding face a new methodology from push to pull. In the past, advertisements were pushed onto potential customers, but now those same people only pull the information they want to see. Have you noticed that the way you want to learn is changing? I see it in my two boys. According to the New York Times, they are the first generation for years to actually watch less television than their elders. Instead of being presented with a predetermined menu of limited options, they hit the internet like ravenous wolves, seeking out the things that interest them. They have become expert researchers. Many believe that something has changed regarding how they are now shaped to receive information. However, I wonder, has it really changed or was understanding always best grasped in a different way? Is it true that we find the Bible difficult to understand or is it truer that the difficulty in understanding stems from the way we attempt to teach it? Does the Bible have a middle management problem? Maybe we need to rediscover an ancient method for our postmodern times. So when I say encourage connectivity around research, I'm getting at this idea of going from push to pull. Rather than pushing in uh, information on someone uh, as an individual, if you can get them pulling that information as a group, then the information they kind of bind around, that binds them together, the research that they do, means that the information that they gather uh, has much more credibility. It's layered, it's reinforced constantly. How do you do that? How can you create that connectivity around research? Thirdly, encourage connectivity with a freedom of expression. So uh, many years ago when I lived in Manchester, there were a couple of murders of teenagers uh, at different times. Uh, one of them happened a stone's throw from where I lived. And one of them, as you'll see in this picture, happened literally outside our front door. A young boy, 16 years old, was murdered. Uh, what happened next was interesting. If you take a look at this next picture, you'll see some flowers, almost a shrine being built to this young person around a lamppost. So these young people were not religious and yet something inside them knew there was something spiritual. They were experiencing these feelings. They didn't know how to really explain them. So they just created a shrine. It wasn't religious. It had shirts with Manchester United on it. It had uh, um, flowers. It had uh, messages. But there's something really interesting that really gives us an insight into our postmodern world. If you look at the flowers, notice they're put on a communal shrine in other words lots of flowers are added to each other but at the same time they're individually wrapped uh, i would put it this way people are essentially saying i want to be part of the bigger we but i still want to be me so be careful that you don't individualize your message too much that worked in a, in a modern world that was full of individualism and consumerism but in this world, people want to know how their, how their response, how their 
um, getting involved doesn't just connect them to your message and your vision, but also connects them with other people as well. So don't individualize your message too much. People are a little bit more mature now. They realize that they're not isolated, that they need more than any other generation that's come before it. They need that sense of connectivity. In the past, it was already there. Nowadays, people have to go online to find a partner. Nowadays, people have to search out community. So understand that as you're creating your message. Finally, encourage connectivity around a shared story. Stories are visual images. When you tell a story, people are imagining it in their heads. They're imagining the story. So once a year, I bring all my national directors together and we have a, a whole week of training and vision casting and discussion and business. And on the last night, after we've prayed for each other, uh, we have a storytelling session where we literally tell the folk tales of Pays, if you like. We retell stories that have happened on Pays and we laugh about them. And quite often, every year, we tell the same stories. And the reason we do that is because those stories bind us together. Those images, those visual images of the stories bind us together. Uh, and we ask questions. We, we ask, you know, what happened to you? Have you got any stories and it kind of binds us together. So there's this folklore uh, that is helpful. If you, if you can bind people together um, through stories and traditions, it really, really works. As I've said, this series um, has been um, inspired at least, and certainly the four words have been inspired by Leonard Sweet's book, Postmodern Pilgrims. Let me read a quote to you uh, finally from there. Story molds us. There's hardly anything we change our minds about because we're convinced of it simply by logical arguments. Story makes us who we are. So in my mind, I don't tell the story of Pays. I am the story of Pays. Uh, when I tell the vision, when I present the vision of Pays, it's wrapped up in my story. With that in mind, let's look at our last and final workshop. So I want you to, again, think about the message or the presentation you thought about in the first workshop. But now, rather than creating a diagram to explain it, rather than creating a visual image, I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to present that same message purely through your own story. So whatever your theme, whatever your aim, whatever your challenge was, recreate it through your own story. And use these three parts. My story, our story, your story. Tell your story, explain how it can be part of our story and explain how it can be your story. So for instance, when I do that with Pays, I explain my story, how I got into school's work, why I got into school's work. Then our story, I talk about the whole of Pays. So I take it from the personal to the community, the whole family of Pays. And then I present it as, this could be your story. My story, our story, your story. And then again, if you look at your notes, just want you to add this couple of thoughts. Theme it, repeat the soundbite, and paint a picture of what it could be in your story. So give it a theme that, that runs through those three threads, ideally with a soundbite. So my story, um, I wanted to be a missionary. Our, our story is 
we make missionaries, we're missionaries who make missionaries. Your story is you could be a missionary who makes missionaries. My story, our story, your story with a soundbite that runs through it and a challenge. So look at that past uh, message or presentation you did. Forget the visuals now. Do it all about a story. Make it about a story and predominantly use your story. Hopefully you'll find that helpful. What I'm trying to do here is help you think through other ways of engaging people in your message. But let me, let me just uh, leave you with these final thoughts. It's important to understand that post-modernity is not modernization. Modernization is taking the same fundamental thing and making it more modern. So for instance, when we move from hymn books to an overhead projector, which many of you won't even remember, and then we moved to keynotes digitally, that was modernization. It was the same fundamental thing, something you looked at to read worship from, it was just modernized. Postmodernity is when things fundamentally change, when we do things fundamentally different. So for instance, uh, if a, a group of people worship, not by looking at a screen, but one person led others in a song and they repeated what that first person sang verse by verse, that would be a fundamental change. Postmodernity is a fundamental change. Postmodernity is a change in, and it's a new age in history. And every age in history comes because there's a new ways of traveling, new ways of reading or passing on information and new ways of connecting with other people. And we've seen that through technology and uh, globalization. So I just wanna encourage you to understand these four values are really important and you're gonna see them become more important as time goes by. Okay, so please uh, finish that final workshop I gave you. Hopefully that'll be helpful to you and hopefully these four levels will help you uh, understand that the message of Jesus is so powerful, but we need to understand the world in which we're bringing it. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak to you next time. Goodbye.